Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Monday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show live and on demand here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. He is Todd Erzin. He is Aaron McIntyre. You are you. You can let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. That is Steve at SteveDace.com, D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. Look for us as well on MeWe, Parlor, Gab, and Getter. You can look for Steve Dace or at Steve Day Show there. And then Rumble.com at Steve Day Show or slash Steve Day Show, I should say. Rumble.com slash Steve Day Show is where you can go to get clips of the show that are both free to watch and free of censorship. Well, I hope you had a good weekend because a lot of the news over the weekend was a reminder about why we have several of the partners to this show that we have. For example, you may not even realize it. Our friends over at Moink, right? So our friends at Moink, they're the ones that deliver the grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, the pasteurized, uh, pastured, I should say, pork and chicken. You pasteurize milk, not pork and chicken. Uh, Sustainable, wild-caught Alaskan salmon. They deliver this straight to your door with... Farm to table, family farming, just like we used to do in, you know, a lot of the previous generations in this country. Well, did you know like 60% of U.S. pork production comes from one company and it is partially owned by the Shycoms? So, I mean, this is another example. We hear a lot of talk today. We are costing ourselves money by not drilling oil. We are then... Uh, funding the Russian war effort by buying theirs, right? Okay. This is another example that when there is an opportunity to go direct to the producer as consumers, and there are people there that share our values, take full advantage of it. Oh, by the way, um, they also offer free filet mignon for a year to get you started there. Free filet mignon for a year if you sign up at moinkbox.com slash Steve, M-O-I-N-K, for moinkbox.com slash Steve. All right, coming up on today's show, next hour for our Monday town hall. I saw a a study that we have previously cited on this show has been uh, tweeted out by the one and only Dr. Jordan Peterson. And it is a study showing that ivermectin is dramatically more effective as a treatment for COVID-19 them than ever was remdesivir um and it also doesn't cause renal failure like remdesivir does so this is perfect timing our new friends over at the high wire ran an interview last week and after watching it i i literally sent it to everybody i know people in public office i sent it to everybody i know 
I'll just tell you straight up. I sent it directly to Ted Cruz. I've not heard back. I told him, Ted, if you have ever trusted my word on anything, please watch this. This is an interview with a whistleblower who's associated with the World Health Organization. She's not even from this country. She's from the UK. And she has been a contractor with the UK, I'm sorry, with the WHO for many, many years on regulatory analysis, drugs to approve, not approve, processes, making sure they're up to snuff, followed with integrity, things of that nature. She looked at the data on ivermectin that was produced by Dr. Pierre Corey and others after uh, the first few months of treatment back in 2020 and was absolutely blown away. She checked their work as she has been hired to do on previous occasions by the World Health Organization. She checked their data. She made sure that it added up, that it wasn't flawed or forced or compromised. And then she double-checked it and she triple-checked it because she also could not believe that this wasn't worldwide news. You've heard me say over the years that Puritans always, or pilgrims always start out as Puritans, right? Mm -hmm. We always begin the process thinking that the corrupted structure we're in just doesn't know that there are uncompromising, non-corrupted, integrity-laced solutions to the problems that they are charged with confronting. We always start there. We always think we can pour new wine into old wineskins. We always do. So she started there. And the story that she has to tell, I cannot possibly do this justice. This is Third Reich levels of evil. Countless people died, multitudes worldwide. That did not have to. Why? Who's responsible for this? In this interview that is going to take up the bulk of our second hour, we have permission from our new friends over at the High Wire to play this for you. We are going to play it uninterrupted for most of the next hour. Because again, I'm bound and determined. I've put this on all my socials over the weekend. I want everybody I know and I can reach to know about this. This is one of the most evil things I've ever encountered. This is David Daleiden getting videos of Planned Parenthood execs munching on a chicken Caesar while bargaining away baby parts from little children they just mutilated levels of evil except this was just individual branches of Planned Parenthoods that Daleiden infiltrated we're talking about an entire medical structure third Reich levels of evil here so next hour we are going to play as uninterrupted as we can this interview it, it it contains some amazing video she recorded the zoom calls that she had with her chief contact at the world health organization you'll see those calls you have to watch this next hour or listen to it on the podcast
Then at the very end of next hour, we will reserve a, a little bit of time at the end. Todd has not seen this. I've asked him not to watch it because I've seen it. Obviously, Aaron was going to watch it to get it ready to be on the air. So I wanted Todd to be the one here to speak for you. For those of you that have not seen this and are going to watch or listen to this in real time next hour, what is your visceral instantaneous reaction? I I cannot tell you what mine was because it would get me deplatformed everywhere. So keep that in mind when we go with a hot live mic next hour. All right? Gotcha. Because it's a good thing I wasn't asked to comment on this live on the air. I can barely contain my anger at this particular moment over it, frankly. So we will play this interview for you next hour. For the bulk of the hour. And then, Todd, we will get your live, hopefully non-fireable reaction afterwards. I'll do what I can. Because I got to tell you, I, I, I've struggled to figure out what reactions are legit and righteous that wouldn't get you fired everywhere. This, you're going to look into the mouth of madness next hour. Elsewhere, the return of our good friend, Bob Vanderplotz. He's back from the family leader and just in time to give his take on a tweet I put out on uh, yesterday that has ticked off a lot of people, which is fine. I don't mind. It's just, the only thing about it is Folks need to need to learn to separate analysis from endorsement. You know what I'm saying? This isn't an endorsement. It is an analysis. But we'll get his take on it. It's about looking forward to 2024. Should we be fortunate enough to survive that long as a people? Because millions of suburban white women decided that they wanted to turn the country over to a dementia hellscape because there were mean tweets. That's no guarantee, frankly. No guarantee that we will make it to 2024. But should indeed we have the benefit of uh, doing so? Um, uh, Let's have a a conversation along those lines with Bob coming up here at the bottom of the hour. But before we get to all of those things, we begin as we always do with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by the curious state of the economy. The United States is apparently set to rerun the Iran nuclear deal in an agreement brokered by Russia. Part of the agreement is reportedly the import of more Iranian oil. This comes as more rumblings have surfaced that the U.S. and its allies are planning to block imports of Russian oil into their countries. In addition, the U.S. is sending a delegation to Venezuela to inquire about importing more oil from that fascist country as well. In the meantime, the price of wheat has skyrocketed in just the past few days. Russia is also signaling it's cutting back on its exports of fertilizer. The price of gold also shot up to $2,000 an ounce at the start of trading this week. Commodity prices over the last year, heating oil up 90%, WTI crude up 80%, Brent crude up 79%, coffee up 73%, gasoline up 70%, aluminum up 70%, natural gas up 69%, wheat up 59%. Corn up 35%, cotton up 34%, lumber up 34%, soybeans up 18%, sugar up 15%, copper up 13%, gold up 12%, and the consumer price index up 7.5%. The bottom line is this the price we all have to pay just to, you know, live and exist is going to get a lot more expensive than it already was. 
Famous actor and elitist and rich guy George Takai tweets, Americans, we can endure higher prices for food and gas if it means putting the screws to Putin. Consider it a patriotic donation in the fight for freedom over tyranny. Congressman Dan Crenshaw, who recently said there is nothing he could do about the January 6th political prisoners, one of whom recently committed suicide, tweets, If you needed more reasons to want to do everything possible to hurt Putin, here's another. He's literally holding American citizens captive on BS charges. Putin is the enemy. Crenshaw was referencing the detention of an American WNBA basketball player in Russia last month. Speaking of other pukes, Utah Governor Spencer Cox is on a roll after having sided with the teachers' unions a few weeks ago on another matter. He indicated in recent days he'll veto a bill that would ban dudes from competing on women's sports teams. Switching gears, ethical skeptic tweets, Folks, we genuinely have a problem here. Younger people are dying at sustained rates, and these are not COVID deaths. This is not long COVID, as that would still hit older ages harder. This is hitting the 30 to 34, 35 to 39, 40 to 44, and 45 to 49 age brackets. Ethical Skeptic attached these graphics of excess mortality data by age group based on data from the CDC. That smells rotten. And finally, this from the Babylon Bee. The Batman delivers a solid superhero entry but fails to comment on the hardships of trans lives in war-torn Ukraine. And that's what happened while we were away. Nice. Uh, Aaron's montage brought to you by Start Mail. Ever wonder how big tech knows so much about you? Three words free email services. When you click accept on those terms and conditions, you are giving that free email provider the go ahead to scan and analyze your email. Free email services are data hoarders. That's why you want to switch to Start Mail and be done letting big tech make billions by selling your information that's in your email inbox. Start Mail. S-T-A-R-T. They keep your email private, period. Every single email can be encrypted both ways, even if the recipient doesn't use encryption. And when you delete an email with Start Mail, it is gone forever. They own their own servers as well, so they can't be Amazoned. Uh, they ha- are backed by some of the most stringent privacy laws in the world. So take advantage of your privacy right now before it's too late. Keep your information private with Start Mail. Sign up today. Get 50% off your first year when you go to startmail.com slash Steve. That's S-T-A-R-T, like the word start. Startmail.com slash Steve. 50% off your first year today. 50% off your first year when you go to startmail.com slash Steve. All right, let's go to the montage. And... That graphic that Aaron posted uh, that uh, I tweeted out earlier today, I think I saw that you tweeted it out too, of of what's happened to the price of these leading commodities in the country since Biden has been elected. There is one group of people to blame for this, frankly. Suburban white women. Suburban white women... Oh, first of all, let me restate. They stole the last election. Don't ever forget that. They stole it. But but there's a reason why they can't steal this one, at least not yet, the way things are trending. You need a, uh, you know, I had a, a, a person I've had on my show in the past and I've been on hers. You know, she made a, made a mention to me on Twitter over the weekend of the election grid. Let me tell you what the election grid is these days. Ready? Here's a little lesson for you. The election grid is whether or not there is a pre-existing polling and news narrative 
that allows the spirit of the age to justify conjuring the outcome that it wants. That is your election grid. Any questions? Nope. That's your election grid. Let me restate that. The election grid isn't the series of safeguards and those sorts of things that voting, whether it's digital or handheld, all that stuff goes through it. That's not what the election grid is. That's what it once was, right? That's what it once was. That is no longer what it is. What the election grid now is, is whether or not there exists a pre-existing polling and news narrative that justifies the spirit of the age conjuring up the outcome that it desires. That is your election grid. Would anyone like to challenge that? No. So you guys then are all sober. Okay, that's good. Uh, That's the election grid, guys. That's what it is. Did such a narrative exist leading up to the 2018 election? The midterms in 2018, when Democrats won 40 House seats. Did we have... Well, at the time, until we got introduced to whatever, you know, this weekend at Bernie's presidency is. Did we have a polling narrative that Trump was the most unpopular early president we'd ever seen? Did we have that? Yeah, we had that. We had those approval ratings, right? Sure. These approval ratings in the low to mid 40s. We had all that stuff, right? Okay. So there there existed a, we had the whole Russian collusion thing had yet to be settled yet, right? Yes. Okay. So we had this idea. Did he steal the election? Was he a tool of Putin? Um, and oh, and he's unpopular. And look, look, mean tweets, right? While you're experiencing the best family wage earner growth in this country and since at least the 1990s, if not a half a century, right? We, we had those things, correct? Yes. And so they could conjure up an outcome where a president that was at the time presiding over the biggest economic boom in the country since the dot-com boom could lose 40 seats in the House of Representatives nevertheless, right? They had that. Right. Right. Okay. Did they have that? Did the spirit of the age have that narrative in 2020? Mm-hmm. Let me let me ask it another way. Is Lindsey Graham on Grinder? Yeah. They had that narrative in 2020. Somewhat because of his own decisions, the lockdowns that set the stage for every the, the shutdown of the economy and everything else, right? But they certainly had that narrative in 2020, and because he locked the country down stupidly, that handed them the keys to then just put a full bore a full bore ballot harvesting operation called drop boxes into place all over the country. Correct? Yes. Okay. Right. Who provided this narrative? Who provided them the narrative in both cases? White suburban women did. White, anybody want to argue with that? I think you guys can tell after this thing I watched with the high wire over the weekend. I'm in, I, I would, I'm usually in a zero F's given mood. I'm not even to the letter F anymore. I don't give a rip. You all, I don't care how many you could complain on my Facebook page, email inbox. When you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that yelps is the one you hit. So, sayonara. I don't care. We're literally living out a left-behind novel. I'm not here to rub your belly. So back to the conversation. Anybody else want to argue with me? Who was it? Did Trump actually outperform any Republican in recent memory with blacks? Yeah. Yeah, he did. Now, was it a good performance? No, I mean, it was still statistically irrelevant. It was like a couple points better. But was it still better than any modern Republican had performed with black America? Yeah. All right, so we can't really even blame a historic turnout of in the George Floyd election. We can't even blame a historic turnout of George Floyd cultist from the Church of Floyd uh, who overran Trump at the ballot box. Can't blame him on that, right? right? Okay. Did he outperform with Hispanics 
Yeah, and especially like the non-college educated ones. You know, the ones he supposedly was xenophobic against, right? Okay. Um, way outperformed with them, correct? Yeah. Okay. Who did he underperform with? Who did he underperform with in the 2016 election, actually? He won them, but by the smallest margin a Republican has in modern history. White suburban women. White suburban women determine this narrative. Handed the spirit of the age the narrative that it wants. Which is this guy's just so uniquely unpopular that it justified conjuring up an election that a dementia patient got 81 million votes. That was that's how it got its narrative. Does anyone want to argue? I, I'm married to a white suburban woman. You are correct. Correct. Aaron, I believe you are too. Correct. Would you? Would any of the two, three of us here, wish to argue with this, or would our wives even argue with us on no. this? It's just the science, Steve. It's just science. It's actual science this time, because we live in these neighborhoods. Weren't we warning people throughout the course of this presidency? Our neighborhoods are bad, bad, bad. Were we not having these conversations on the show? Right. All right, there's a lot of work to do in the neighborhoods in which we live. Now, this conversation is going to have a second part in the conversation we're going to have with Bob Vanderplatz here in about 15 minutes because it goes right into the analysis that I gave this weekend that ticks so many people off, okay? But make sure you give credit where credit is due for this dementia scape we now live. White suburban women handed over this narrative. They did it. They are as a group, and I don't want to, don't, and save me your emails. Well, you know, all the white suburban women, you live in suburban Tuscaloosa, not talking about you. Suburban Phoenix, suburban Milwaukee, suburban Detroit, suburban Grand Rapids, suburban Atlanta. Talking about you. That's where it went down. That's where it went down. That's where they won all their seats in 2018 was in the suburbs. And that's what went down here. That was the narrative for all of this. And that's why next segment, when we sit down with Mr. Vanderplatz, I'm going to lay out what I think Team Trump will do for their second go around at the presidency in response to this data. Any thoughts on that before I move on? I think that was pretty apparent that was pretty apparent from the immediate uh, aftermath of the election back in 2020. Um, suburban, uh, white suburban. Now, Democrats will say, and th- this is in their branding, <clears throat> that uh, the black women are the core of their... Bi- no, no. It's it's white, um, upper middle class or upper class suburban women. And uh, that is alarming. You want to know how you can tell those people it's the in this house we believe signs that were everywhere there was one of them across the street on my street last year yeah we believe that there are 75 genders and all that garbage that was that one of those was across the street from where i live in my suburb yeah there was just a map out last week that i know i retweeted to this and that, that that just took in women's voters and i think just oh, among yeah. i think among women voters i mean there were like only a handful, yeah, less than handful 10. of red states. Everything else was a Democrat landslide. Where do we get people like Spencer Cox? How does this how does this happen 
and, and, and save me the nonsense, you are the reddest state in the union, Utah. Two of your three major office holders are Mitt Romney and Spencer Cox. Appropriately last named, by the way. So, no, you're not the reddest state in the union. You get Republicans like that with what suburban white women. I know. Trust me. You're going to run into few people that have that have engaged in more hand-to-hand combat in primaries in America in this in this business than I have. Hell, it's those same suburban white women that got, we got to vote for us on the Cruz campaign against Trump because they didn't like him then either. That's why we always won the suburbs one-on-one against Trump, just because they didn't like Trump. It was a, it was a thing back in the 2016 primary. So this is Utah. So just to put this in further perspective, Utah is the only state left in America, guys, where a majority of the general population attends church multiple times a month. It's the only state left. Missouri's close. It's just under 50%. Utah, although this data, I will admit, also is a few years old. This is data we had when I was on the cruise campaign. So... Utah could be underwater now for who knows, given the increasing devolution of the country. All right. But Utah at the time was the last state remaining where a majority of the general population attended church on a regular basis. Next was Missouri. How do you end up in a state that has the highest gen pop church attendance in the country? And obviously, there's going to be some theological distinctions and differences from what gets taught in some churches in Utah to what gets taught in some churches in Missouri, right? But are there going to be that any moral differences? Are the moral are the moral are there going to be moral differences in what gets what gets taught in those places? None. Actually, no, no. None. There'll be none. Actually, none. And yet, the governor of Utah now has sided with the demonic teachers unions and the demonic mutilators in just the last couple of weeks i mean at this point in time at this point he might as well go speak at a planned parenthood event and just finish off the trifecta here that's one hell of an exacta box for the reddest state in the union allegedly oh and did you guys see scott gottlieb come out in his defense Thank you, Governor Cox, for reminding people that we have a a broad-based Republican Party. Mr. Gottlieb, who's some of our biggest star peers in this industry, pimped and propped up during the initial launch of COVID stand as a legit source that you can trust. Any coincidence that the Tariq Aziz of Pfizer... Is, is all is down with gender reassignment surgeries? No. No coincidence, man. None whatsoever. That's about as on brand as the hell gets right there. At this point, they ought to just do a music video and matching red unitards. I'm sorry. I know it's Monday, but I'm not sorry. No more, no more of your mama. Time to hear from your daddy. This poop has to stop. And there's no one else here to stop it other than us. So stop it.
If you can't stop it in Utah, then what the hell am I doing working here today? What is the point of this? I was even asking you that before the show. Yep. You're like, sometimes it's a job. I can do other things. Probably pay, probably pay less. Also come with a hell of a lot less blowback, though. Stop it. Or, I mean, just, you know, count down the days till you get to vote Republican again. You can do that, too, I suppose. Any thoughts as I try to drive wide swaths of the audience away here to start off on Monday? Did the snow? Probably didn't it's help. A, it's a March snow. It probably didn't it's, help. It, the March snow, you know, that puts me in a mood every damn time the March snow does it. Okay. Yeah. That is a factor here. I should admit that that probably is. <laughs> not that I'm not with you, but I think the snow kind of pushed you over the edge. Hey, I haven't said it in a while. It's weird. It's cut, maybe because it was just implied, but it's time to ask yourself, Dr. Jones, what do you believe? I don't. Yeah. In Utah, like, why is that guy not like, why aren't papers being submitted to pull that guy right out of office? Scott Walker, Wisconsin style. He survived that, but that, you know, where's the action? They, they did that just because that, that guy wanted to balance budgets and they tried to run him out of office. What are you going to do in Utah to this clown? It's up to you. Vote, 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 vote GOP to save America. That's that's all I have to, to add to the conversation. How about Dan Crenshaw? Oh, there's nothing I can do about the political prisoners as they're wasting away and attempting, and in one case successfully, to commit suicide. Nothing I can do about that. I mean, what 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 can I do? One WNBA player gets detained for uh, drug or narcotics. Uh, contraband substance, contraband by the way. Yeah. Substance in Russia. We need to go to war. Um, just got nothing. They they don't they don't it. They don't care about you. It's not that they don't care about you. They have contempt for you. Yeah, I, I long for the days where they didn't care about us. Those were good days. <laughs> that would be an upgrade over what we have now. Parents have a fundamental right to determine the upbringing of their children, but this right is under attack in government schools across the country controlled by pagan demonic teachers unions. That's why long before we knew what Loudoun County, Virginia was, long before we even came to work here on Blaze TV, I used to call the teachers unions the devil's youth ministry, and that's what they have turned. Uh, too many of the schools into. And that's why your rights as a parent to influence your children's education is under attack. That's why you're called a domestic terrorist these days by uh, your own 81 million alleged voted uh, for president uh, in between uh, dementia bouts in the basement. Uh, If you dare to get involved in your child's education, Bob, you can tell I'm in a mood. 
All right. I am in a mood today. All right. So if you want to do something about this, our friends over at ADF, Alliance Defending Freedom, this is what they do. You can make a tax-deductible donation today. They represent all of their clients pro bono, which means they are funded by tax-deductible donations from people like us. I would never make a direct ask for you guys to donate to something that I myself have not or would not be willing to. I've donated to ADF, uh, so I would urge you to do the same. ADFlegal.org slash Steve is the website adflegal.org slash Steve. And that is a familiar face and voice looking a little tanner though, after a month down in Ron DeSantis's Florida. Welcome back to Iowa, brother. How are you, Bob Vanderplatz? I'm doing really good. Refresh, reset. Uh, glad you're in a mood. I thought maybe you're in a mood just because I came back. No, there's a lot of things that have set me off. Not the least of which, Todd, you called it already. Friggin' March snow. I freaking hate it. All right. <laughs> Only four inches. Yeah, it just, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's March, man. It's time to move on. I told right? our team a week ago I'm driving over the Marco Island Bridge, going to an airport in Fort Myers at 70 some degrees and white sand. And this morning, scooping four inches of snow. Uh, not quite the same it thing. It doesn't feel right. No, not quite the same thing. So I put out a tweet over the weekend, and you know, people have, have struggled to learn the difference between an endorsement and an analysis. All right. <laughs> and as I get older, I'm doing fewer and fewer endorsements because I just frankly don't think they matter. And I've, I'm becoming more and more reserved uh, to the fact that there are events happening in this world beyond my scope that I cannot change. And so I'm much more weatherman than activist these days. Doesn't mean I'm not willing to do any activism. It just means I'm not willing to charge and tilt windmills with a spork. All right. Uh, when it's pretty clear, there are circumstances beyond my control at work. So this is just me being a weatherman. All right. So here is the tweet. Barring his health or societal collapse before, Donald Trump will be the 2024 GOP nominee, which probably isn't a very surprising analysis. But his running mate will be a woman, as the main goal will be to recover suburban females that he hemorrhaged, the conversation we were just having before Bob came on the air. Uh, and I believe it'll be one of these three in alphabetical order. Tulsi Gabbard, Christy Nome, and Kim Reynolds. Now, I would add a fourth. All right, my buddy down in Texas, Chris Ekstrom, suggested Senator Marsha Blackburn in Tennessee. And I, I, she's based since she's basically a female Mike Pence, which means a great voting record, but like never leads on any fights at all. I could see that. So I'll, I'll so make that an addendum to this, uh, this proclamation, uh, which would then put her name first because her starts with a B that it will be one of those four women. And I didn't just idly choose them. Why did I choose them? Well, last week in Florida, where you were, just were, they had CPAC. That's where CPAC is held now, right? Mm -hmm. Trump's people are in charge of that event. They determine who speaks, who, and, and what the topics are. They are in charge of that event. Who was the speaker at the Reagan dinner at Trump uh, at Trump's CPAC? Do you know who it was? I don't. Tulsi Gabbard was. <laughs> she was the speaker at the Reagan dinner. Okay. Well, Steve, he likes people that are eternally loyal. The only thing Donald Trump loves more than people who are eternally loyal are people who are newly loyal. All right. The idea of having Tulsi Gabbard, who detests Kamala Harris, having her go around the country for a few months saying, I didn't leave the Democratic Party. It left me. I'm a veteran. I'm attractive. I used to actually have some fairly conservative views on social issues. I'll just re-evolve. Right. 
Um, she's she's more popular with Trump's base than 90 percent of elected Republicans in Congress are. The other one, Kim Reynolds. What did we just have last week? The response to the State of the Union. Yep. And who did they give that response to? Kim Reynolds. Kim Reynolds. From not a, from a major population sector, right? Not even really a key swing state. But we've been so successful here in Iowa. I don't even think we're a swing state anymore. The Democrats <laughs> are so routed in this state. We might have, we might have we, we we might become victims of our own success. We won't get a caucus and we won't get all that swing state ad money because we've so routed the Democrats and Trump is such a fait accompli. So why feature her as good of a governor as she is? She doesn't exactly have the media presence that you know lights up a room necessarily, right? Okay. We all have our strengths and weaknesses. Why did they grant it to her? It's not a major swing state. She doesn't have instant star power. Why would they grant it to her? A little bit of apprentice going on because here. Because she is on that list, okay? And that's what I think. I think the I think the Trump team they did their dalliance with trying to make inroads into the black vote. They had a couple points of success, and all they did was empty out the prisons to get an additional two points and get George Floyd to death. I don't think they'll do that again. That's why I don't think they'll go with Tim. Cops can be racist, Scott. If anything, I think they'll go hard right. Nixon's Southern strategy on crime in the next election. Mm-hmm. Hard right on it. Um, and I think they're, they've, they're, they've made tremendous inroads with Hispanics. I mean, this is the most significant inroads with Hispanics the Republicans have made in my lifetime. And it's been in the Trump era. So I think the group that they recognize is, is, is hurt them uh, all along. White suburban women. What can we do to bring them back into the fold? And that's why I think one of those four people will be his nominee. So now it's your turn to get as ticked off at me as all kinds of people on Twitter did over the weekend. Go ahead. <laughs> well, first of all, I won't be ticked off. And the only thing I thought when I read your tweet is that that's assuming Trump is the nominee. And the only person who's going to make that decision is going to be Donald Trump. If he runs, uh, I don't see anybody beating him. He has too loyal of a base. I think he can win a primary and lose a general. But uh, I don't know if anybody's going to beat him in a primary. That being said, when you mentioned Marsha Blackburn, I like Marsha Blackburn. She has not been on my radar at all. That'd be a definite surprise. I don't see that going anywhere. Matter of fact, I'd probably take her off the list. I don't see it doing anything for him. And I don't see Marsha Blackburn being the kind of person Trump would potentially go to. The other one you didn't mention, Steve, is Christy Nome in your analysis. Something to remember about Christy Nome is that Corey Lewandowski is advising Christy Nome. Well, he was. Are you sure? Yeah. That's a was? That's a was. Okay. Okay. But Uh, there was a definite connection there of Corey Lewandowski and Donald Trump. And I know he's not advising Trump anymore, but he was advising Christy Nome. Yeah. Remember the rumors that they were, there was a story of rumors that they were having an affair they let him go and then thought that it was actually good to tell people they weren't paying him. Well, then what was he doing to get compensated sure. for? Uh, but those are things that I just don't think Donald Trump yeah. and his people give a rip about. But what I'm saying is that there was a definite connection between Trump and Christino. Yep. So I believe in that order. Matter of fact, uh, Tulsi Gabbard, uh, I really hadn't even thought about her until I saw your tweet. And she's one. So where Marsha Blackburn's to me doesn't do anything for my RPMs to go in the red zone. Like, yeah, that could be her. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. I think I don't see that being her. Tossie Gabbard, I think that's almost a Trump kind of pick. Mm-hmm. I need something that, I mean, Trump loves people who are eternally loyal. You said that. He also likes people who are newly loyal. You said that. 
Trump also likes people who can help him win. Mm-hmm. And I think he sees Tulsi Gabbard as being one, what a great message. The Democrat Party left me. And now I am pro-life again. And I did, I was in the military. And what a great, and she, and you know she can debate on the national stage. She's somebody that I think uh, he definitely would take a look at. That being said, uh, Kim Reynolds came off exceptionally well on Tuesday night, delivering the response to the State of the Union. Matter of fact, I told our team she almost gave a commercial for the Daniel Impact, which is an initiative of the family leader, that the powers in the states. Take a look at what the states are doing. Get your eyes off of Washington, D.C. And on every issue, matter of fact, I was at a um, fundraising event, Steve, in Houston where you spoke. And you told the people in Houston, listen, guys, Iowa is more red than Texas today. A lot of that's the leadership of Kim Reynolds. And on every issue, whether it's Save Girls Sports and Todd's daughter Ainsley, uh, she's on the right side of that thing. Whether it's COVID and keeping Iowa open for business, she's on the right side of that. Reducing our income tax. She's shown great leadership here uh, in the state of Iowa. So we applaud her like crazy. And there's no one who's going to be more pro-life on that, that well, Marsha Blackburn is, but Kim Reynolds has actually led on the life issue. So I think Kim Reynolds is a compelling pick. I think a lot of people's initial, matter of fact, Darla and I heard this a lot in Florida. Well, don't you see Christine Nome being the VP pick? Now, not just for Trump, but for DeSantis or for Pompeo or anybody else that might be in the mix, because they're seeing Christine Nome on Fox a lot. But all of a sudden, you get Kim Reynolds giving, delivering the State of the Union, and you see Tulsi Gabbard doing the Reagan dinner speech at CPAC. I think those are compelling choices. One of the chief criticisms I got were people that were like, they want the what they perceive to be a dream ticket of Trump and DeSantis. They're not going to happen. I, I cannot foresee, it would be extremely out of character for Trump to uh, allow himself to have another alpha male and one that to a portion, a not insignificant portion of his own base overshadows him. That's just not the way he rolls. He he likes smart women. He has always been very open to that. Smart, strong women. Doesn't necessarily like surrounding himself, though, with a lot of smart and strong guys. We've seen yeah. that quite a few times. I, I just, I can't envision that Reince Trump Priebus. would have Reince Priebus. Um, the list goes on. And Rex Tillerson. I mean, we Jared Kushner. I mean, the list could go on and on. I, I, I can't see an alpha male that has arguably more charisma than Trump. Well, uh, being the running mate. I can't you know, see that. I had this conversation in Venice, Florida over lunch and, and these people were big DeSantis fans and they love what DeSantis has done in Florida. They just happened to be at a uh, Hillsdale College fundraiser where DeSantis was the keynote speaker in Naples, Florida. And they're going, would DeSantis be a great VP to Trump? I said, absolutely not. Matter of fact, if I'm DeSantis looking through his eyes, there's more power and more leadership in running the state of Florida than being the vice president to Trump. And quite frankly, his odds of becoming president, he's a young guy. Do a great job in Florida. You'll get your shot at being president one day. I don't ever, and I think DeSantis says no. And I'm not so sure, like you said, Steve, that Trump would go there in the first yeah, I, place. I can't even, I can't foresee that conversation even happening. So is there another angle from the Trump side? I mean, is there another angle to this that you want to address in the time we have remaining? I don't know if there's another angle to it. Uh, Matter of fact, um, 
again, I take a look at Florida. The, the one good thing about a DeSantis, he takes Florida off the map. I just don't see any way, shape, or form that he does that. And there's still a very obvious rub yet between Trump and DeSantis people. I don't know what that is, but there's an obvious rub there. I think Kim Reynolds gave the message where the power being in the states, you don't want to lose a governor like DeSantis out of Florida either. You're going to lose him from term limits yeah. one way or the other. Yeah. But, yeah. but you don't, I mean, you'd like to have him fulfill his term at least. And so I think the the our interest in having strong governors is exceptionally high. Uh, the VP pick, the, the two that I think are the most compelling right now, and obviously Christy Nome has a lot of compelling features as well, but Kim Reynolds, um, she's been there, she's done that, she's led, she's a grandma, she's a mom. I think she can speak to these suburban women who Trump has lost. Uh, but then the other one is Tossie Gabbard, just because it would be a you know, completely onslaught onto the Democrat Party and how far left they have gone. Yeah, I mean, I had people, he'll, he'll lose the right if he puts Tulsi. This is the guy that, that you know, brought in Peter Thiel, Rudy Giuliani, people that the right has in previous eras of, uh, he doesn't care about any of that. And I think Trump views that he'll deal with the right on his own, okay? Um, that's a one-on-one -on -one relationship between him and the right. All he's going to care about is what's going to help me win. Uh, so it, 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 it would be Kim Reynolds or Tulsi Gabbard or somebody along yeah. those lines on the basis of who could make the most compelling case for him winning a general election. So probably the one other thing, Steve, that I would add has nothing to do with the VP, but I think your audience needs to hear this as well. Everywhere I travel, and I travel a lot, everywhere I travel, the interest of a Trump run again is highly exaggerated and overrated. There's a lot of people saying they don't want to see. Another. Trump may want to run again, and he'll probably win the primary. But there's a lot of people. Well, like, I agree with they that. They do not want to see Trump. But, but you can't replace they, something with nothing. Who, right. would, who, who wants to step into the void and have their wife called ugly and go through sure. all of that for six months? Who wants to do well, that? Without question. Matter of fact, that's with DeSantis as well. I mean, he will he will define DeSantis quickly. The key would be is he if he would turn his power into let's win the elections of 22 and let's get behind somebody who can win in 24. Bob, good stuff, man. Good to see you. Good to have you back. Good to see you. Appreciate it. You know, the last two years have taught us anything. It's that we need to take control of our own health. One of the ways you can do that is with the Z-Stack from our friend, uh, Dr. Vladimir Zelenko. He was one of the very first to provide an early treatment protocol for COVID-19, zinc, quercetin, vitamin C, vitamin D. He puts it all into one supplement compound uh, that can make sure that you stay undergirded for any future variants uh, that may arrive. And it's also, uh, it's, it's it's shown up to be a pretty good uh, prophylaxis for serious flu uh, bouts as well. If you want to give it a shot, uh, they'll give you a discount on your first order when you go to zstacklife.com slash dace. Z as in zebra, zstacklife.com slash dace. Again, that's zstacklife.com slash dace. Any thoughts on the conversation that Bob and I just had before we move on to hour two in the Third Reich? Well, it is good to have him back. Uh, our friend Paul Alexander. Uh, Used to be the communications correct. director for Gabbard for president. He yes. instantly got back to me at least and said there is absolutely no way Tulsi Gabbard uh, uh, does this. There was no way that uh, evangelicals were going to rally around an Al Sharpton donor. Yeah, I know. How many times have there been no way 
No it, way, no how. You know what I no, say? No about way, the crazy no way. Horses. A bunch of bro dudes with thirty-eight inch biceps are going to mask up their toddlers at Costco after listening to Rogan for two years. Did they do that though? They did. Yeah, there's See, a lot is, of things the, that are no way, the, no how. This I is know. this is the, my problem with how this shook out over the weekend. I, I think there's a pretty slim chance that uh, Tulsi Gabbard would agree to be his running mate. The reflexive uh, assurity assuredness i should say the reflexive assuredness that there's no way that this could happen have you been asleep for the last six years i know i know yeah to me if it doesn't happen it's because she doesn't want it correct i guarantee they want her that's absolutely why they gave her that speaking slot they're absolutely trying to woo her so it's just a matter of whether she wants or is willing to kiss the ring or not or they make the deal sweet enough for her to do so i will come back hour two we will try to get to the bottom of one of the greatest evils we've ever witnessed next We are back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. If you are a podcast listener, please leave us a five-star review if you've yet to do that. Hit that subscribe or follow button if you like us or kind of like us. If you kind of like us, really exaggerate. If you don't, we wouldn't ask you to lie. But if you kind of like us, really exaggerate because we need all the people liking us we can get. I mean, look how unlikable the guy hosting this show is. My name is Steve Dace. He is Todd Erzin. He is Aaron McIntyre. Thanks to all of you that have given us those five-star reviews and the subscribes and the follows on the podcast. You're a big part of our show's mystifying yet ongoing uh, continued growth. <laughs> All right, again, given how unlikable the host is. This part of the show brought to you by our friends over at Sweatblock. I gave it the ultimate test. I mean, I've used it around in Iowa summer last year, and it held up just fine. But uh, after leaving the throes of an Iowa winter, to then walk into 87 degree temps every day in Orlando, Florida. I mean, that is quite the the change. And I'm not a little guy, okay? So how did the sweat block perform masterfully? I used the sweat block deodorant. I used the sweat block deodorant lotion for some of those more sensitive regions. And it absolutely did the job, which is why I want to continue recommending sweat block to you. You can also get the basic wipes. If you've got problems with excessive pitting and you got a big day tomorrow or something planned, uh, or even a good shirt you don't want to ruin, uh, put those wipes up on your pits the night before go to bed get up the next morning you're good to go for several days right so no matter what the product with the problem of excessive sweating sweat block has your solution with the promo code of my last name dace you'll get 20 percent off at sweatblock.com promo code dace d-e-a-c-e 20 percent off at sweatblock.com so todd you have not seen what we were about to begin at your direction. Yes, because I want you to be a proxy for the audience with your live, real-time, visceral, non-fireable reaction, because I only had fireable reactions after watching this on Friday myself. This video that we're going to spend the bulk of this hour showing you, we are uh, playing in its entirety with the permission of our new friends over at The High Wire. This is an interview that they conducted, and it may get to the bottom, or at least get us closer to getting to the bottom of who was responsible and why for killing ivermectin i'm joined right now by tess laurie who is the ceo uh, of evidence-based medicine consultancy 
and DBMC squared. Tess, due to the magic of technology, you are in England, I am here in Texas, but the technology is putting us in the same room to have this conversation. So it's almost like we're right there together. First of all, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Dale. It's wonderful to be speaking with you today. To begin with, for people that don't know who you are or the work that you do, uh, and, and what sort of puts you in the middle of this ivermectin conversation, uh, what would you say to people to understand um, your background? Well, I'm a medical doctor and a research consultant, and I have a company, the Evidence-Based Medicine Consultancy Limited, that I've been running for the better part of the last 10 years. And what we do at EBMC Limited is that we provide um, evidence synthesis and, and help develop clinical practice guidelines. And we do this for organizations like the World Health Organization. We have no conflicts of interest. So this is why our work is really valued and you know, no shares in pharmaceutical companies or anything like that. And uh, we've been helping the World Health Organization develop these guidelines for, um, for 10 years. So very quickly, the WHO trusts you, trusts your objectivity, knows that when you're delivering information or looking at things for them and doing an analysis on the evidence and the science, they can trust that you have no outside influences, which is why you've developed a very strong relationship with the WHO, correct? Correct. Okay. Yes. Um, so when, um, so I'm also uh, EBMC Squared, you mentioned. Now this is a nonprofit company that I started in March last year in response to the unmet needs really to safeguard the public and, and empower them to take more control of their, of their own health um, during the COVID crisis. And uh, through that company, we have an, an initiative called the British Ivermectin Recommendation Development Initiative, which is now called BIRD International. And through that, we've been doing research and advocacy work to promote ivermectin as a safe and effective treatment for COVID. Now, in your work, do you, do you often investigate drugs and vaccines and things like that? Is that sort of your wheelhouse? Uh, when you say, you know, you do evidence, you work with the WHO, what are the types of things that you tend to look at and, and, and focus your investigations on? So what I do is, um, is um, well, well, we'll get, you know, a list of interventions that need to be evaluated for a, a condition. Um, for example, I've worked on the antenatal care guideline uh, for a positive pregnancy experience. These are documents like this. And in, in these documents, there's so 40 or so interventions um, that may be assessed for effectiveness and safety. Um, uh, not only effectiveness and safety, actually we look at uh, the acceptability and feasibility, the cost effectiveness and equity uh, uh, implications and also whether what people's values and preferences are related to interventions. So there's a whole lot of different sorts of evidence that we, um, we uh, integrate into uh, what's called an evidence to decision framework and we prepare these documents and then uh, usually I would go to Geneva, for, uh, for example, and present the evidence in front of a panel of stakeholders that would range from, you know, doctors to country representatives. I would assist in guiding them to make a recommendation on whether to recommend an intervention uh, in certain contexts, for example, research, uh, whether to, to recommend outright or, or not to recommend because there is uh, insufficient evidence. 
on, on effectiveness or concerns around harms. All right, great. Um, so now let's get into ivermectin. Um, what got you into ivermectin? Did WHO reach out to you, or was this something that you sort of decided to investigate on your own? No, uh, it was not a commissioned piece of work. When COVID broke out, I wanted to do something useful, uh, and uh, I didn't really um, have the opportunity. I wasn't working with the COVID team at WHO, but I kept an eye on, on what was happening. I was concerned about the lack of evidence base, uh, of an evidence base to support most of the strategies that um, the authorities were recommending. And, uh, and then I saw Pierre Corey's testimony. Uh, somebody sent it to me actually on the 26th of, of December. So it was quite, it was a few weeks after he'd actually done it. And, uh, and I thought, well, I know everyone at WHO is going to be on holiday at this time. Um, let me just quickly do a, a, a rapid review on the evidence based on the studies that Pierre uh, Corey and his team had included in the review. All right, so very quickly, very quickly, Tess, let me go ahead and play that video because we saw it too here on the high wire. This is Pierre Corey in the Senate um, speaking about the ivermectin, really announcing that he believed there was a treatment. Take a look at this. We have evidence that ivermectin is effective not only in prophylaxis, in the prevention. If you take it, you will not get sick. We just came across a trial last night from Argentina by the lead investigator of ivermectin in Argentina, Dr. Hector Carvalho. They prophylaxed 800 healthcare workers. Not one got sick. In the 400 that they didn't prophylax with ivermectin, 58% got sick. 237 of those 400 got sick. If you take it, you will not get sick. It has immense and potent antiviral activity. We know that from the first study in Monash, it has made the bench to the bedside. Prophylaxis, we now have four large randomized controlled trials totaling over 1,500 patients, each trial showing that as a prophylaxis agent, it is immensely effective. You will not get sick. You will be protected from getting ill if you take it. <clears throat> In early outpatient treatment, we have three randomized control trials and multiple observation as well as case series showing that if you take ivermectin, the need for hospitalization and death will decrease. The most profound evidence we have is in the hospitalized patients. We have four randomized control trials there, multiple observation trials all showing the same thing. You will not die or you will die at much, much, much lower rates. Statistically significant, large magnitude results if you take ivermectin. It is proving to be a wonder drug. It has already won the Nobel Prize in Medicine in 2015 for its impacts on global health in the eradication of parasitic diseases. It is proving to be an immensely powerful antiviral and anti-inflammatory agent. It is critical for its use in this disease. So he obviously made very strong statements for a doctor he's reticent about, but he said, I am saying it's a miracle cure. Obviously, very big statements. He has he talks about a body of scientists that he's been working with. So you decided to try and evaluate the information that he was referencing, the studies that they were pointing to. Um, and so what did you see there? I must just point out, it was very strange to me to see a doctor having to stand and beg before politicians to use a safe old medicine. <laughs> so my curiosity was piqued. And so I looked at, uh, I included the randomized controlled trials and I also included the observational controlled studies that I assessed as being of higher quality. And when I pulled the data, it was clear to me that ivermectin was um, most likely a game changer for us. 
and that it should be used for both prevention and treatment. And in actual fact, that um, it really made placebo-controlled trials unethical because you couldn't give a placebo to somebody after looking at that body of evidence. Uh, it was clear you had to at least um, uh, give, them a, give them a chance with ivermectin. And, and you're talking about a drug that is, you know, when we think about emergency use authorizations or things like that, this was not a brand new drug. We, it wasn't one that we didn't know the safety profile on. It's being used uh, all over the world. Millions of people have been using it. Um, so, you know, what were the benefits of ivermectin? You know, you, you know Ivermectin's on, it's actually on the World Health Organization's list of essential medicines. And, and to be on that list, it's got to be incredibly safe. And you know it is actually available over the counter in many countries to treat worms and scabies. Uh, it's only during the COVID time suddenly all these restrictions have been placed on its use and supply. So um, yeah, I, at the time I, I thought, well, this is going to be easy. <laughs> you know, all I have to do is share this information with my colleagues at WHO, um, share it with the UK authorities, um, uh, the the US authorities, uh, and, and others. And then I can just get back to work. You know, that was my holiday, um, my holiday work. And I shared it with, with the UK authorities and WHO, and there was no response. And, and at that time, there were, you know, certainly on the news, it seemed like uh, tens of thousands of people were dying every day. And so a few days went past. A couple of days, I reached out to Dr. Andrew Hill, um, and it was Pierre Corey who put me in touch with him. Okay. Um, uh, Pierre let me know that, in fact, WHO had a consultant already working on ivermectin. So I emailed Andrew Hill and I said, let's work together. I can give you all my data. How can I help you? How can I support the work that you're doing? And so to be clear, uh, Andrew Hill is at the WHO. He's a consultant for them. He is uh, sort of working on COVID, looking at ivermectin. Pierre Corey has already been interacting with him. And so you said, let me jump in and help. Just th those are sort of the players. Who else, who else are you talking to on Pierre Corey's side? Well, in actual fact, um, that wasn't really how it works. Uh, Andrew Hill was, uh, he's at un the University of Liverpool. Okay. And so he's not actually at the WHO. And he was employed by Unitaid, it seems, who collaborates with WHO a lot. But um, he certainly was the, the appointed WHO consultant to do the review. They were presenting at the NIH on, I think, the 6th or 7th of January. And um, they being, I still they have, being who? Who's the day that's going to be presenting um, it in? Like Pierre Corey. Um, Pierre Corey and Paul Marek, okay. um, doctors from the Frontline Critical Care Alliance, and, um, and Andrew Hill. So the three of them presented, were presenting to the NIH, and I still had no news from the UK authorities. So I made a video appeal to the, the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson just to say, look, I'm a WHO consultant. I've done this uh, evidence synthesis. Uh, it looks like we've got a safe established old medicine that works for prevention and treatment of COVID. I've reached out to your um, Minister of Health. Um, he's got my details. Please, can you contact me? All right. So let me, we have that video. So let me just play that very quickly so that we see you know, what you sent to, as a sort of plea to Boris Johnson. Here, here it is. Dear Prime Minister, my name is Dr. Tess Laurie, and I'm the director of the Evidence-Based Medicine Consultancy in Bath. 
My business conducts industry-independent medical evidence synthesis to support international clinical practice guidelines. My biggest clients are the National Health Service and the World Health Organization. I have recently authored a report called Ivermectin for Preventing and Treating COVID-19, a rapid review to validate the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance's conclusions. In connection with its findings, I sent an urgent correspondence to Mr. Hancock and other members of Parliament on Monday the 3rd of January. Unfortunately, I have not yet had a reply, and due to the urgent implications of the report, I'm trying to reach you via this video. The good news is that we now have solid evidence of an effective treatment for COVID-19. It is called ivermectin. Ivermectin is a very safe and effective anti-parasitic medication widely used in low and middle income countries to treat worms, lice and scabies in both adults and children. It has been around for decades and not only is it on the World Health Organization's list of essential medicines, it is a Nobel Prize winning medicine due to its increasing usefulness across a range of different illnesses. Between Christmas and New Year, I independently reviewed 27 studies presented by the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance as evidence of ivermectin's effectiveness. The resulting evidence is consistent and unequivocal. Ivermectin works well, both in preventing COVID infections and in preventing deaths, at the, at the same doses used to treat lice and other parasitic infections. I'm very pleased to inform you that this evidence solidly substantiates the FLCC's recommendation that ivermectin should be adopted globally and systematically for the prevention and treatment of COVID-19. Because I know there is a lot of fake news going about, I would like to assure you that you can trust the integrity of my report because I'm an, I'm an experienced independent medical research consultant whose work is routinely used to underpin international clinical practice guidelines. In addition, I have no conflict of interest and have received no funding for this report. But most of all, you can trust me because I am also a medical doctor, first and foremost, with a moral duty to help people, to do no harm and to save lives. Please may we start saving lives now. Thank you very much for your help. Mr. Hancock's office should have my details. All right, so you make this appeal to Boris Johnson. You have Pierre Corey, uh, uh, Merrick, and uh, Hill are all going to the NIH to have a conversation. And I'm assuming at this point, everyone must be very excited. Like, we, we have a cure. We can, this pandemic, essentially, we've got something that can really make a difference. So you must have been excited at that moment. Yeah, I was really excited, but also I was getting a little bit worried that nothing had happened, you know, that there'd been no response because on the emails I'd put urgent, you know, and I'm available to talk anytime mm. and, and nothing really happened. And I know that um, uh, Dr. Corey and, and Marek were, were really disappointed with their meeting at the NIH. And so I reached out again to... Why were they disappointed, if you don't mind my asking? I mean, what was the sense of what had happened at NIH? Well, it was that they had been very underwhelmed by the evidence. They hadn't said, wow, you know, thanks very much. We can, you know, we'll, we'll move on this. So 
you know, they uh, they were hopeful, but I, I, I still got a sense that they were disappointed and it hadn't quite gone as they had hoped. And so I said to Andrew Hill, let's work together and do a Cochrane review, a Cochrane-style review, because I know from my work with WHO that this is the, the style of evidence that, that um, gets, you know, that they like. It's a very meth methodological approach. And, uh, and he agreed to come on board to do, with our team, to do a rapid review. And I put together quite a strong team. Between us, we'd done more than 120 Cochrane reviews, supported other authors to do Cochrane reviews. So we were a really strong team. So just, just so that we're clear, you're working with Andrew Hill. I just want to give people a sense of where he was at, you thought, emotionally as you were working with him. Here's a couple of tweets he had put out, excited about, you know, he's, he's working with Pierre Corey, um, Dr. Merrick. And so here's, a, here's a, a couple of tweets, just so we have a sense of who Andrew Hill is. Ivermectin is showing effects on viral clearance, hospitalization, and survival across a wide range of randomized trials in different countries. Difficult to see how bias assessment could change such consistent treatment effects excluding studies with any bias is too extreme. Ivermectin treatment is leading to faster viral clearance in several randomized trials. Could this lower the risk of SARS-CoV-2 transmission? Treatment as prevention works for HIV. Ivermectin meta-analysis reported in the Financial Times. The purpose of this report is to forewarn people that this is coming. Get prepared, get supplies, get ready to approve it, Dr. Hill said. We need to be ready. So obviously he was really pro the work that you were doing. He was as excited as you were. But then you get this document that is the one that it's like a preprint of what he's planning on going forward with after you're all working together. You're supplying him with the evidence. You're supplying him with details. Have a team of people giving it to him. But the paper is not what you expected. Is that my sort of stating that clearly? Yes. When I read it for the first time, I, was, I emailed him and I said, um, I emailed Andrew Hill and I said, please retract this because it's going to cause immeasurable harm. What was it that stood out from the work that you'd handed over? What was it that stood out? Was it, you know, was the evidence in the paper? Was there evidence that the ivermectin was working? Um, yeah, well, in actual fact, you know, in the paper, it says, um, I mean, I can read it for yeah, you if please you like. Yeah, please do, please. In the results, it says that, Ivermectin is associated with reduced inflammatory markers, so it causes less, infl reduces inflammation, faster viral clearance, so it gets rid of the virus quickly, um, and it's dose dependent, um, which, is, which is good, it means the more you give, the more likely it's going to work. Uh, it says it shows significantly shorter duration of hospitalization, so the people in the ivermectin arm were in, in hospital for a shorter time than those in the control arm. It says in, in um, the studies of severe infection, there was a 75% reduction in mortality. So 75% fewer deaths in the ivermectin arm. And then it says, um, and there was favorable clinical recovery and reduced hospitalization. So there to fewer people actually being hospitalized. Um, so that's all sounded great. Uh, you know, it, and then it says many studies that were included were not yet published or peer reviewed and meta-analyses are prone to confounding issues. So the fact that they're not yet published or peer-reviewed, not published, uh, the, the, the preprint servers were established um, during the Ebola health crisis um, because in a health emergency, researchers need to get their evidence out really quickly. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, to, to say, well, this is a problem uh, is, is bizarre.
And then it says all peer-reviewed. Now, the process of systematic reviewing is, in essence, reviewing papers. And uh, you're, you're in the unique position to be able to ask the authors for clarification and more, more information or, or data or whatever. So it's really strange to me that they've undermined their own findings. And then it says a wide variation in standards of care across trials. Uh, and ivermectin dose and duration of treatment was heterogeneous, which means different. So um, the fact that there were wide variation in standards of care is also a strength in this context because many of these um, studies actually compared ivermectin to an active treatment. So, you know, so in actual fact, it would have reduced, if ivermectin was still showing benefit, it yeah. would have actually, um, you know, it underestimates the effect rather than overestimates it. And then, most shockingly to me, was that he says ivermectin should be validated in larger, appropriately controlled randomized trials before the results are sufficient for review by regulatory authorities. So he's saying that authorities can't even look at this evidence until um, larger randomized controlled trials are done. So it was very disappointing because we know how long, normally how long, long randomized controlled trials take to do and how expensive they are. Um, although this hasn't happened in the context of other, other drugs that have been rushed through the studies um, during COVID and, and uh, approved by like emergency remdesivir, authorization. remdesivir, other things like that, yes. or even the vaccine yeah. itself. So essentially, you had the body of what you had, the work you'd sent over, it's all there, showing 75% reductions. He's amazing, as Pierre Corey put them, like almost miracle cure results in studies all around the world. Yet at the end, he's put this paragraph that essentially says, but, you know, it wasn't fully peer-reviewed. We can't totally trust it because the studies were, you know, different in nature and used different approaches, which you says makes it a strength because it survived every way that it was used and the different variations. And then lastly, the nail in the coffin really is basically saying, and this is from the WHO perspective that he's representing this, he's saying, we cannot recommend this to anyone in the world until we do a full randomized control study. We need, you know, more investigation. It's positive, but let's put a hold on this. Is that essentially what that last paragraph does? It, it, it takes it out of use, out of recommendation by the WHO at a time where thousands and thousands of people are dying every day. Yeah. So what was the first thought you had when you read that sort of conclusion? Um, what was running through your mind? I said um, to Andrew, we have to meet, Let me, let's meet. I, I said, We've got to, you've got to retract this paper. I can help you revise it. Um, and he said he would meet with me the next day. Were you concerned at all that maybe there was an outside influence that had come in? I was concerned that there was, that there were some influences, yeah. I was. And when I saw that, um, I thought, um, you know, what is what is going on here? Um, because he's been saying he's going to work with us to get ivermectin approved. And then there's this. So that was that was the thing is, is you know, what is actually going on? 
So now we have this representative, a consultant for the WHO that you've been collaborating with. Uh, Pierre Corey, uh, Dr. Merrick have all been working with him. Very excited about, you know, we are going to sort of bring this information to the world and perhaps really start saving lives. The paper comes out. It has this conclusion. You reach out. So set up for me what you wanted to get across to Andrew Hill in your meeting, the Zoom call that was about to happen. Yeah, I wanted to just, um, I wanted to find out who was influencing him to make those conclusions. And I um, was, was hopeful that I'd be able to persuade him to, to retract that paper and go ahead with us and do the Cochrane review, which then would be definitive. Can I speculate that you felt like the Andrew Hill you had been working with was so positive that by reading this, you, you just assumed there must be somebody else that stepped in because it was out of character? Was it out of character from what you'd known about it? It was out of character because even after our meeting, even after his paper had been published, that Financial Times clip that you posted just now was from the 19th of January. So he published the paper saying that he needed, you know, that uh, it couldn't be assessed, it couldn't be evaluated or recommended by the re or reviewed by the regulatory authorities. Um, and then he was saying in the newspaper the next day, well, get ready, get supplies and all of that. And in actual fact, there was also another, I think on the 19th or 20th, he, was, uh, he presented in a panel in South Africa uh, where he was asked about ivermectin and, um, and what would he do if his, if his brother got sick or a family member got sick with COVID, would he use ivermectin? And he said, yes, he would want his brother to get ivermectin. So even after publishing that it can't be used by the regulatory authorities or recommended, he was saying, well, I'd like my brother to get it. We'll pause it there and pick it up here after the break. Todd, what do you think so far based on what you've seen? I volunteered to pull the lever at the gallows and I won't wear a hood. I'll do it. We are right now, people are talking about still wearing masks everywhere they go and vaccinating kids under five. Now, in March of 2022, this is what's, I, I did not expect this. The, the video from her testimony trying to reach out to Boris is from December and January, December, 2020, mm -hmm. January, 2021. Like that's three months before we started vaccinating in mass here in the United States. We, we, heck that's before we even wrote our book, Steve and I, we've known for a long time that we had the silver bullet and a criminal syndicate called Big Pharma, made sure it wouldn't be used so they could get filthy rich while you died. I will pull the lever. It's going to get worse. Do I still have a job? You might not after you see this next segment. Okay. It's going to get worse. We'll continue with this video exclusively and with expressed permission from Highwire in a moment. Courtesy of Highwire, I want to get to part two of this interview with Tess Laurie, WHO whistleblower on who killed Ivermectin as soon as possible, because Todd, I want you to have as much time to react to this on behalf of the audience at the end as we can.
Here's part two. There was this kind of, it was like, you know, these inconsistencies that were really hard to understand. Okay, so you obviously, you reach out to this person who is at the very least conflicted. We have some of the excerpts from your Zoom call, which I think are very telling, uh, at least when we try to get a sense of what happened to ivermectin. Why would the WHO not be promoting something that seemed to be showing such success around the world? Um, this first clip, essentially, you're asking him, you know, what, uh, who's involved? What's happening here? Let's take a look at this. I, th I think I'm in a very sensitive position here. I, what yeah, I'm trying to do... people are, are in sensitive positions. They're in hospitals and ICU's dying and they need this medicine. Well... This is what I don't get, you know. Because you, you're not a clinician, you're not at the cold face, you're not seeing people dying every day. And, and this medicine prevents deaths by 80%. So 80% of those people uh, who are dying today don't need to die because there's ivermectin. There, there are a lot, as I said, there are a lot of different opinions about this. As I said, some people... We're looking at the data. It doesn't matter what other people say. We are the ones who are tasked with the... And we have the experience to look at the data and reassure everybody that this cheap and effective treatment will save lives. It's clear. You don't have to say, well, so-and-so says this and so-and-so says that. It's absolutely crystal clear. We can save lives today if we can get the government to buy ivermectin. So here, you're, you know, he's saying things like, well, I mean, there's not a consensus as other people have different points of view. And you're like, they, they haven't researched this at the same level that we have. What was the energy that you were sensing from him? Well, he wasn't making eye contact. He was being very, uh, you know, he was trying to avoid making eye contact. He was, he was kind of, uh, it just felt like he was um, making excuses and just not coming up front uh, and just saying what was actually going on. And there were so many people's lives hanging in the balance, and it seems like in this call, you really tried to wake him up. Like, what are we talking about? Uh, here's an excerpt where you try to really get him to admit you do realize that people are dying in huge numbers. We could make a difference. Um, it's, 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 I guess, you know, an attempt to reach out and poke him through the Zoom call. Uh, let's take a look at this. Rest assured, I'm not going to let this last for a long time. I don't, I'm not saying we keep going for another <laughs> year. The fact that you're saying you're not going to let it last for a long time makes you realize the impact of your work. So how long are you going to let people carry on dying unnecessarily? Up to you. What is, your, what is the timeline that you've allowed for this then? Well, what I hope is that this, this stalemate that we're in doesn't last very long. It lasts a matter of weeks. And I guarantee I will push for this to, to last for a short amount of time as possible. So how long, how long do you think the stalemate will go on for? How long do you think you'll well, okay. allow the stalemate my, to go on for? From what my side, point? okay, from my side, every single new trial that comes through, we're going to be aggressively adding it on, and I think end of Feb will be there. Six weeks. How That's many people die every day? <clears throat> well, there is a whole group of people who think that ivermectin is, is, is complete rubbish. I'm not talking about them. I'm not talking about them. I'm saying we know the evidence. 
How many people what died today? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, 15,000 people a day. 15,000 yeah, people a day times six weeks? Yeah, sure. No, I get it. I mean, it's really shocking. You can tell this is a man who it's, it's like he's got a million voices in his head. He's trying to talk about these people that are saying they don't believe in ivermectin. We don't know, you know, who those people are. But it's really amazing, the point, six weeks. And frankly, the statement in his paper, his conclusion, is that we're going to have to wait for randomized control studies to be done. So it doesn't matter if he wants to keep high. He already had a pile of great studies. What is a, you know, adding new studies going to do? How is that going to remedy this situation within six weeks? Was that sort of what you were thinking? That's not going to get the job done. Yeah, and it just felt like uh, it was sort of delaying tactics. I could see, you know, it's unlikely to be six weeks. But I was hoping, you know, at the end, well, OK, if it's just six weeks, then... You know, but it, I didn't really have any reason to um, to believe him. So as you're sitting in this call, I mean, I think it's, it's pretty harsh. You go right at him, right? I mean, you are really saying there's thousands of people, as he admits, to um, dying, you know, every single day. Did you feel like if I can't get this shifted right now, I mean, is the I mean, in a way, the weight of the world is on your shoulders. If this paper goes forward, millions of people are going to die because they're not going to get a drug that you clearly have looked at and you said is saving lives. Did you feel like if I can't convince him here, all is lost? I did feel that um, it was our it was a kind of make or break, you know. I didn't know really where we would go from there because uh, we're talking months now for new trials and, uh, and how are we going to get the message across because this is the WHO consultant, this is the WHO paper, and, and they were basically dictating international health policy. So you decide to get from him who's behind this, uh, what is going on, you know, who's, who's affecting you. Here's you sort of really drilling into him on that question. So who helped to, who, whose conclusions are those on the review that you've done? It's who's, who's, list, who's not listed as an author who's actually contributed? Well, I mean... I don't really want to get into I mean, it, the, I think the it, needs to be, it needs to be clear. I would like to know who, who are these other voices that are in your paper that uh, are not acknowledged? Does Unitate well, okay. have a say? Do they influence what you write? Unitate has a say in the conclusions of the paper, yeah. Okay. So, um, so who is it in Unitate then? Who is sharing the, the, the who is giving you opinion on your evidence? Well, it's just the people there. I, 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 I thought you is just a charity. I, I, is, it, is it not a charity? Yeah. That actually, have, so they have a say in in your conclusions. Yeah. So, in many ways, I feel like there you have it. You have the smoking gun. You're asking who is it, and he says Unitate has a part of this conclusion of writing this conclusion. Can you give us a sense of who Unitaid is? It's a non-governmental organization that really has, um, a, a, does a lot of um, collaboration with the World Health Organization. And Bill Gates is on the um, board. 
um, and and also is highly influential in the World Health Organization. Uh, and does you know so there, there was there was a lot of industry influence, I would say, because I don't really see Bill Gates as a philanthropist. I see him uh, as a businessman. So you know I, I was concerned when um, I realized that in actual fact. Uh, the, the people at Unitaid were influencing the conclusions of, of a scientific manuscript. Um, and, uh, and in fact, you know, it really smacks of, of interference because the names, you know, usually if you contribute to a paper, you're named either as an author or you're acknowledged in the acknowledgement section. And that um, was, was not the case. So we had a whole lot of, of authors listed of the primary papers, um, which was also an, another irregularity, because usually the people who are involved in writing the, in, in, the, in the papers don't go as an author on the review. And then we had. So, just to be clear, let me, let me just, for people that aren't used to like this conversation, this is a review. It's a meta analysis review taking in all the papers that have been looking at ivermectin from around the world. And then the review tends to list those scientists and doctors who were part of the review. You're saying that this giant list of names included those authors of the original papers that were being reviewed. So, they put them in as though they were authors on this review, which is not the standard way this is normally done. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah, it's not standard. Have you reached out to any of the people that were on those original studies or papers to see, did you agree or like, what did you feel about how your paper was used in this meta-analysis that basically said um, it's, these studies aren't enough to sort of warrant recommending ivermectin? Yes, I reached out to Professor Femi Babalola, who did a very good study, a double-blind randomized control trial in Nigeria. Um, and, uh, you know, he said the whole process had been rather peculiar because, um, you know, he'd been considered part of this team on, the, on that preprint. Um, and, uh, and he had uh, thought it was strange the way the conclusions had been, you know, kind of against ivermectin, uh, the use of ivermectin. And then, uh, and then he was surprised that his name, you know, that had been taken off the subsequent, the final publication, which, because that preprint only got published in July, despite it having an enormous impact on, on uh, um, health practice and policy before then. Um, when, just on, on that point, when I contacted our UK authorities to say, um, what's happening, and here is the evidence pack on ivermectin, they, re they responded to say, well, um, you know, Andrew Hill's review um, says that more studies are needed. So even though it wasn't published or peer-reviewed, it had an enormous impact. And if you, actually, that's quite a good point. If you go back to his conclusions uh, in his paper, he says these studies were not peer-reviewed or published. Well, his review wasn't peer-reviewed or published until July, right. and it had a huge impact on health policy. Okay, we're all talking about, we've been talking about on the highway so much about where's the funding coming from? Follow the money, like what's going on? Why would anyone change their tune? Well, we see a huge investment into the university. Here's the headlines I want to bring to your attention. Uh, this is Unitaid. Funding sees launch of world's first long-acting medicine center at University of Liverpool. University of Liverpool is, is where Andrew Hill works. This is the university with which he's coming from. Unitaid is funding, we're talking, you know, 
40, it says established as part of a 40 million international research consortium. That's January 12th. This funding comes into the university. And by January 16th, there's an early print. And then January 18th, a preprint that you're looking at where suddenly there's this huge caveat shutting down uh, the recommendation of ivermectin for the WHO. Were you aware of that that Unitate investment into his university at that moment? No, I wasn't. I only found out afterwards. And, uh, and also I'm aware that Unitate has some investment in long-acting ivermectin. So, you know, that's uh, injectable ivermectin. Okay. Um, so, you know, which also subsequently I've realized would have, uh, may have had a, 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 an influence. And so in this last clip that we have where you're really trying to say, what are you doing? What I've got to do, my responsibility is to get as much support as I can to get this drug approved as quickly as Well, you're not going to get it approved the, what, the way you've written that conclusion. You've actually, gonna, you've actually shot yourself in the foot and you've, you've shot us all in the foot. All of okay. everybody trying to do something good, you have okay. actually completely destroyed it. Okay. Well, that's where we'll, I guess we'll have to agree to differ. Yeah. Well, I don't know how you sleep at night, honestly. I don't know. I guess $40 million to your university maybe helps you sleep a little bit better. But that's why there's a hell. You don't ever sleep there. So after you've watched this now, Todd, just as the audience for the first time, you're their proxy. Your reaction. Well, don't go back to normal because normal is what got us here. It's worse than all of this because this is not, this is why I'm an anti-vaxxer. I told you before, it's not just the science. It's, it's this. It's the level of money and payday that has driven way beyond the priorities of science. If you think this is going on in a pandemic, when, when people are dying, what do you think is going on? during normal times this is happening every day in every walk of life it doesn't just affect science this is how your kids are educated this way that conversation god bless that woman but that guy isn't even remotely unique this, this is the guy working at my children's schools that i'm having a fight with all the, the, the time my goodness again the framework december and january of 2021 let's say for the six weeks that they're talking about that's a lot of death in there during peak uh peak time but let's just say he keeps his word at the end of six weeks he meant to keep his word at the end of six weeks steve wasn't it uh no october and november of 2021 when Terry Bradshaw and the whole horse yes. pace stuff. Yep. So six weeks, man, I would have loved to have six weeks. We got way into then to talk about it. We still do. You go out on the streets right now and act people about ivermectin and there's probably a horse pace joke. I will pull the levers. Steve said it earlier in the show. Stop it. He talked about Republican uh, politicians basically, but across the board. You are way too comfortable in your life right now. You don't deserve an ounce of that cover comfort if you watch this and will do nothing. Aaron, you have any thoughts in the so minute we I, have? You know, that's the first time I've watched that as well. I the follow the money thing. 
Um, it's it's become cliche, but all cliches have at least some ounce of truth. And seeing that all spelled out, there's no four-dimensional chess here. No four-dimensional chess here. It's just really, really brutal in your face. Um, a paper that could have sent shockwaves in a positive way all around the world. Going to sandbag that, let a lot of people die, because my university's got a brand new medical department. Paid for by an organization, uh, partially funded by Bill Gates, who, you know, does he have any interests in, in vaccines? What, what can you say about such evil? I just, just speechless, speechless after watching that. Thank you to the High Wire for the permission to re-air that for all of you. We are back at it again tomorrow. We need to two Eastern after Glenn Beck here on Blaze TV. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.